0: Did you say pot and corn?
1: Popcorn.
0: It sounded like popcorn. pot and corn
1: to me. <laughs> popcorn. You know, the truth is <laughs> that if Liz and I sat down together with some popcorn... This is Beers with House.
2: Threats, beers, and malsals. Welcome or welcome back. This is Beers with Talos, episode 115. Today is January 14th, 2022. I am joined by Matt and Liz. Welcome, guys. What's going on today? Nobody quit. Yay! We're <laughs> <They're> still free. <laughs>
0: We don't, yeah, we're not telling, you know, nobody, we don't have a new co-host coming in yet, so, or now, or.
2: I don't think we need one. I think, I yeah. think, I think just the three of us is a good, is a good place to sit for a minute. Now, like we did say last time, we were going to have uh, some rotating folks come through. We'll have, we'll have a few people come through and, and maybe stop by and get some more guests. I mean, we can do that because there's three of us now and it's not trying to do a podcast of like six voices, which gets a little unruly. Yeah. Sometimes. Been her
1: as a podcast isn't great.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a,
1: that's a modern, that's a modern pool. Lots of the audience could be like, oh yeah, Ben Hur, a cast of thousands. I remember that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right, let's start this one off the way we start off every episode. Uh, Liz, you want to go first today?
0: I think uh, what's on my mind is people who do Q&A at live events so last night, I went to go see a, a live show of Last Podcast on the Left, which, you know, is just the the stage version of their podcast. Pretty self-explanatory, right? Um, and I had VIP tickets because I'm fancy, and I'm a sucker, and I have FOMO, so I always get the VIP tickets to events, and the tickets for this included a QA and a afterwards with the host. And this is probably the third or fourth event I've been over in the past couple of years. So people get up and they ask questions of hosts that are completely ridiculous and nobody likes them, and eventually we just left because <laughs> so we just gave up on you. Kind of hold out that like the next person's gonna come up with a relevant question to your life. Inevitably, it's gonna be on the episode six years ago where you talked about you know the the skunk ape. Do you really think that blah blah? And then like going off and things that have no relevance to anybody else but that one person. So I I am for doing away with Q and A's.
2: In all fairness, that guy waited six years to ask that question. So, you know, I mean, maybe he deserves his minute to talk about the Skunk Ape. The Skunk
0: Ape is awesome. And yeah, we should have many minutes to talk about the Skunk Ape. But um, yeah, it's just in general, I just don't understand why those Q&As inevitably just piss me off. Is Skunk Ape
1: still part of the Elvis donkey bit? Or what's happening with Skunk Ape? Oh no,
2: Skunk Ape's a real thing. Yeah,
0: it's a real thing. And, And Mitch is in Florida, so yeah. Like a Chucacabra?
2: He's like the swamp brother of Sasquatch. He lives oh, here that in Florida. Kind of real thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: Shockingly, there is a cryptid that's really smelly and is very hairy and lives in Florida. Just gonna leave that. We're just going we're gonna go with that. So. Uh, Yeah, my my hot take is not very long this morning, but I I just think, you know, during panel conversations, be it Comic-Con, Supernatural conventions, or any of the other things I go to, just stop doing Q&As.
2: You don't even want to hear it anymore?
0: I don't want to hear it anymore. It's just, it's like, it's like being on Facebook. It really makes you dislike humanity. (laughs) And so, yeah, I'm just calling for a boycott of of Q&A panels.
2: All right. All right. Matt, what's on your mind today? Uh,
1: my brother's mining truck fell in a mining pit that I made with my space plane. And so I spent all last night building a tow truck to pull it out. So at 1am when I got a message from Ukraine, our Ukraine employees telling us that they were under attack, I was awake so I could be useful. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So thank uh, you to I, my brother for not being able to drive in our stupid game that we were playing.
0: Okay, I was going to say I am assuming this was a video game thing and that you're not actually digging your brother cuz that would have been epic. If you're just truck? like
2: Yeah. I yeah. Mean, was, we, we, we we talked about burying the lead last time, but I think I
0: think we, <laughs> Matt's brother has a space truck. That was, was how he would start every conversation. My brother has a space truck and that was that would just be it. Uh,
1: see, now I think now I'm thinking about Craig talking about his stupid Cybertruck that he's ordered that he's never going to get.
2: Did he actually order one? I think he did. Oh, I think he did.
0: The Cybertrucks, which are now the new cryptids of the vehicle world. (laughs) (laughs) The Sasquatch of the vehicle world. (laughs) I saw one once in the wild, but I couldn't get a picture. Uh,
2: So I I wonder, like, are the the diesel guys, like, really? Like, you've seen these. Like, there's a whole thing of, like, guys, like, you know, like, guys that do the whole rolling coal thing or whatever. And they like intentionally block like Tesla stations, like charging stations are the cyber yeah, those are get... ma-
1: Those are emotionally mature, stable human beings. Absolutely. The road. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: Um, now are they going to like exempt the cyber truck owners from their like EV hate or, or the cyber truck owners going to get it worse from the like diesel pickup truck guys. Cause they dare have a pickup truck or a pickup truck like thing that is that is electric. I wonder how that's going to go for them. Only if
1: the Cybertruck is jacked up in the front and lowered in the rear. Oh, that would be great. I can't remember what that's called. It's a very North Carolina kind of thing.
2: Yeah, yeah, there's a, there's like a, there's a lot of, I see a lot of guys with the jacked up trucks with still have the small wheels on it, so it looks like, like, it's just wearing shoes that that are too small. I (laughs) have seen
1: that the other day, and I was like, what are you doing?
2: Did you run out of money during your mod or whatever? Yeah, one mod at a time, I guess. I don't know how that goes. I don't know. It did look very silly. But today, we want to take a look back on our 2021 year review, and and maybe kind of take a look forward into some of the trends that we can discern from that going into 22. We have a blog post that just came out uh, from Dave Liebenberg, uh, featuring a lot of the work of his team in the Cisco Talos Incident Response Group, looking at the things that they responded to or were uh, top of mind the most in, in 2021. And we wanted to Go over a few thoughts around that today. Because I mean there's there's only so much, to your point, Matt, only so much you can put in the column, right? And you know, sometimes bearing out a little bit of discussion. I,
1: you could definitely put a little more into the column. Just <laughs> spoiler for the listeners, the, the blog's not finished yet. <laughs> 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 Somebody thinks it's finished and it isn't.
2: <laughs> so we'll be going through our version of this blog post. <laughs> Hopefully it in some way, shape or form lines up to what you're reading as you listen to this podcast. But, uh, and actually we just wanted, we, we wanted to, to go through some of the, the, the top vectors that we saw, some of the largest threats that we saw and kind of extrapolate that out into some of the, the, the bigger overarching trends of 21 we see going into 22. Liz, uh, coming from that IR space, I kind of want to let you take off with the initial vectors piece and talk a bit about a bit about
0: Are you Canadian now? When did that happen?
2: <laughs> did he say a boot? Oh, I'm sorry.
0: Oh, here <laughs> so you. sorry, so
2: sorry. If you, want to talk little, if you want to talk to us about those initial vectors and let's know what were some of the largest one, the, the the most prevalent, I should say, most prevalent initial vectors that we saw, and why is it not shocking that they're all related to people?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I think the year it will be news the years where uh phishing attacks will not be an initial vector. <laughs> that will be I don't I think that'll happen in like 2027, but clearly No, so it's a, it's an easy way to get in. And so not easy necessarily, but it's a uh, it's, it's a path. It's a path to success for many people. So clearly we still saw phishing. Um, we also obviously saw a number of things that were related to uh, software vulnerabilities, things, you know, which we'll talk about, I think, a bit later to go in a little more detail on but the biggest overall trend is some that's a lot of times we just don't know we don't know how they got in and it's not because our forensic analysts aren't smart it's because people still don't log things (laughs) so um i don't understand how it's now we're 2022 and i'm still having this conversation about why are you not logging this stuff it's not safe
1: to log stuff did you not see what happened well yes (laughs) okay fine
0: (laughs) No, get log for J if I don't log. Well, you could also, you know, not get for log for J if you stop using Java. So I mean why (laughs) which I believe is another thing we've been saying for 20 years. So um but yeah, it's still it's still an issue. And it's always that disheartening thing where you come in and you you have your fingers crossed and we're like, all right, how can we help you? What has happened? All right, do you have logs for this day? Maybe. I don't know. Oh, crap. That means you don't. And then we have to start doing, you know, it makes not only our job harder, but it makes you less safe because we can't figure out how they got in. So we can't figure out how to stop them from getting back in again. I mean, we can certainly make assumptions based on the type of threat actor we're seeing. I mean, we do, you know, because nothing, you know, nothing new is everything old is new. Is that that phrase? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we can look at if we know it's something like, oh, it's Ryuk, we know generally where to start looking for things. But if it's a new vulnerability or something, we we're going to be, you know, digging around in the dark a lot more.
2: Matt looks I mean, confused. It's, it's pretty challenging <laughs> when
1: when you're you're uh, when you're hired to explain something like what happened to someone and they're like, no, we didn't log anything. But here are the boxes. See if you can forensically figure out what happened. Like that's <laughs> that's a challenging place to put stuff. I and mean, that's why the I mean that's why the um the um it's not preemptive. What's the word am I thinking of? The preemptive work that you guys do. Proactive. proactive? Yeah, the proactive work is so important because when you do tabletops, when you do threat hunts, when you do compromise assessments where the stakes are not at emergency response level, then when you come across a question you can't answer, then it becomes a, okay, well, how important is this question? And do we need to budget for the ability to answer these kind of questions in the future? Like that's why those, those exercises are so important so that you figure out that, no, you can't talk about um, how many bytes were exfiltrated uh, to some random IP address because you don't have flow data and you've chosen not to invest there. Or you can't answer, you know, what PowerShell was executed because you haven't set your Windows boxes up to log that stuff and you haven't retained it. You know, those those kind of exercises um, and finding out what you don't know before you have to know it.
0: Yeah, we are actually working on developing a, basically kind of like a log assessment to really go through and validate, oh, you think that you're logging this, and so we can actually go in and determine whether or not what you think you're getting is what you're getting and help to actually get some of those things in advance. I think it would be an interesting, uh, I was like, you know, an interesting study to see though, because I do find that most of the people who don't have those initial logging, those logs or things, are those who are not already retainer customers. And so I, I hesitate to say this, I don't want to sound like a sales pitch, but it's not a sales pitch. It's really, I don't care who your IR retainer is with. Having those things in advance are going to be crucial to how you respond. Because I think the majority of the people that don't know what to do are the ones that are coming out just trying to actively engage us at that time, right? Instead of having those conversations prior to the IR. So if you're someone who has or is a retainer customer, you and your retainer provider have hopefully had discussions with you about this is what it's going to look like during an incident. And this is what we're going to ask for. Hey, if you don't know, let's do some tabletop exercises, let's do some assessments, see where you're lacking. And Those, though, who we get are the panic modes, which are, oh, we got hit with ransomware, we need emergency forensic response, and having to start up new contracts, all those things. I think that is actually probably one of the main differentiators between determining that. I think it would be a good study to see when we could determine what happened with someone who was already a retainer customer versus those who were just starting a brand new engagement.
1: I mean, the truth of the matter is, I mean – if Liz and me sit down with some pot and corn, and we look at like six or seven- Did you say pot and corn? Popcorn.
0: It sounded like popcorn pot and corn to me.
1: <laughs> popcorn. You know, the truth is <laughs> that if Liz and I sat down together with some popcorn- and decided to look at maybe seven or eight attributes about an organization and how they're set up we could make a really good guess about what the outcome is of any ir that occurs there like it's it's not i mean it just it is cons it is so solidly consistent in terms of did they have mfa no oh that's mm, that's gonna hurt that one's gonna sting Right, you know, it. You know, do they do they have the kind of logging that we're talking about? No, they're going to have some questions that they want answered that we're not going to be able to answer for them. Like, like it is, it is, defi- like nearly definitive in terms of like these are the things you need to do, and if you do them, it'll hurt less. Like I can't guarantee you you won't get breached, but it'll sting a whole lot less when it happens.
0: Yeah, and then it goes to the let's get back to the you know the basics conversation. You know, do you have an EDR? Do you do you even have AV? Uh, there are still systems we go through that don't have AV on them, like or an EDR. And I'm like, what? How? How is that you know even possible? And they're like internet facing things too.
2: How has this not been a problem yet? Oh like, well, they, they, no, they no, no! Not,
0: they just it was a problem. They just didn't. Yes, know.
2: yes, that. So with all of the all all, all of the. Lack of logging. There were uh still four or five big incidents that will probably carry the uh you know, the, the title of the, the big incident of the year or were you there? And interestingly enough, they almost fell perfectly into quarters, I noticed. Because uh, at the top of the year, we had <laughs> – every did.
1: Everybody's measured by quarters, even the bad guys. <laughs> <laughs> it, it,
0: it does make you they wonder. They made their
2: OKRs.
0: <laughs> yeah. They had an OKR, and they're like, OK, Q – so Q1. Everyone's
2: beholden to the shareholders, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and not talking about fiscal year, because fiscal year is stupid. Um, OK. So – but all right, so the major major incidents, Mitch. I think you're trying to get us on a, on a topic track. Um, so we started off with uh, solar winds. Oh yeah, solar is how winds. we started the year.
2: So solar winds kicked off our year. That was, I mean, it was a kind of a, a fine. How do you do? And I don't want to spend the whole time talking about like each one of these because we've discussed every one of these in some way, shape, or form over the past year. But uh, solar winds was interesting because this kind of introduced. A big piece of like this. This was a very headline grabbing supply chain attack, uh, and it wasn't our usual like oh ransomware got us again oh ransomware got us again. This had a new a new bent to it.
0: Yeah, and I think it's one of the the bigger ones. We first started seeing companies asking, "Am I affected by this?" And not even really understanding how to determine where they're, where they were vulnerable. So, you know, we had to, you know, work with a number of institutions to determine that. But I would think, and, you know, Matt, I think you probably have a really good perspective on this, I think is... With these larger types of vulnerabilities, I think we're starting to see a lot more input from government agencies like CISA and also starting to see corporations maybe battle each other less and start contributing more to the overall industry when it comes to how we are vulnerable.
2: Is that your experience this year, Matt?
1: I don't think it's about, yeah. Yeah. I I don't know that I'd phrase it that way. It's not that. So look, Coordination takes energy, right? Intel- generating intelligence takes energy. Sharing intelligence takes energy, right? And so, to if things were nice, then I wouldn't expect a lot of sharing because there's not, there wasn't enough to to make it worth doing. But now, I, I think what we've realized is there's enough going on that. While on the face of it, it might it might be hard to justify to a shareholder why are we spending so much money generating intelligence that we didn't just hand over like it is part of the collective defense right and And the value you get out of everyone working together is greater than the value you lose for you doing your part. And so I'm not just I wouldn't say that we're battling that we were battling each other, but like it just has become abundantly clear that if we don't work together, we're gonna have a lot harder time than if we if we do. And so certainly with stuff like JCDC, um, um, you're, you're seeing a much more cohesive um, corporate response associated with, you know, alongside the government response. And I think CISA's has done a great job. And I've said this repeatedly. I think CISA's has done a good job positioning itself as sort of that, that nexus of cooperation between the private sector and the government. And I think that, that having having an obvious group in the government, an organization in the government that isn't baggaged with a lot of law enforcement or intelligence or uh, regulatory baggage, where like their job is just to make sure that data flows, I think that's been as
2: useful as anything else going on. They showed it up and showed through uh, as a, I don't want to say an information clearinghouse, but like as a central, you know, kind of raising the central tentpole around the common defense for things like solar solar winds. Uh, we saw it supply chain attack. Uh, but next up this year, uh, what was next? Was it, was, was Af- Hafnium up Nium. Yeah, Hafnium was up next, wasn't it?
0: fairly quickly fact, you can start off with it. yeah yeah you can start off talking about hafnium
1: i don't remember what any of this stuff happened right <laughs> so this was the one this was the one the interesting it really thing, does start
2: to bleed together after yeah. a while
1: <laughs> the interesting thing on on hafnium was that i remember the most was the disclosure timeline um we had had that um that uh, I think it was Taiwanese organization that had initially found this and communicated this to Microsoft. Microsoft had communicated it to some of its partners that it communicates with ahead of time, including Cisco, um, so that we could get defenses in place uh, in anticipation of the patch coming out. And then it all kind of fell apart a few days before the patch was supposed to come out when all of a sudden it seemed like everyone in the criminal world knew about this and were firing off exploits. And then it became a foot race and the other thing that i think we learned was it's really hard to patch exchange in in anything above like a very vanilla install which is almost every exchange installation um so so the the bar uh that system administrators had to jump over to get these things done um was impressive and i think the last thing and like almost literally the last thing about that event that kind of really caught my eye was the actions by the Department of Justice, where they actually um, obtained um, legal authorization to go in and remove um, uh, web shells from some affected halfnium servers? Uh, so, lots of lots of interesting pieces on that, um, and yeah, definitely was another one of those big um, week week plus long slodges through. Learning whole new things about Exchange.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, it, what, and if if the number in our blog is correct, uh, it was thirty five percent of all of CTI, CTIR's incidents in the spring, and but most of them were scanning. Wow. And, and I think you know that's something we see now for Log4j too. Is like we're there is a lot of waiting for that foot to drop, right? We're seeing a lot of things. Okay, we found we're vulnerable. We found we are scanned. Where's the exploit, right? So. But I think what was good was there were a number of customers that were reaching out for the the set that trust but verify right like we think we're okay we want we need your expertise to come in and make sure that what we're seeing is what we think it is right.
2: But I mean I think Exchange shows itself as like Exchange is damn near ubiquitous like find an enterprise that doesn't run Exchange servers and you know you're probably dealing with a very small company because it seems like every large business runs Exchange server right.
0: I mean, it, because of the, you know, I think because of O365 and moving to that, I think there there were a number that don't have, I saw in, in, the, in our customers, the number of on prem exchange servers, I think has gone down, especially for those who are, who are moving in. I think we're more likely to see it in like small, medium businesses. And I think in the larger enterprise, there's going to be less of on prem.
1: Well, there were reports during Haffium, uh, like one of the things that we learned is that the migration to Office 365 often involves setting up another Exchange server to do the migration from your Exchange installation to Office 365. And so we had some organizations that were, had like this other like rogue server that was still sitting there because it was handling those pieces and they hadn't decommissioned it. So while cloud Office 365 wasn't affected, by the hafnium set of bugs, the the translation or the uh, the um, transition server was, and so there's just tons of like like just it's it's the thing that like you just learn a lot about about these various systems when you have to suddenly dig into detail on how they work, and so this is this, that that was hafnium that was a lot of them this year, but that was hafnium for sure.
2: Well, we do have a, a, in a in a turn of events. It seemed like it this year may have been shaping up to be the year of supply chain attacks instead of yet another damn year of ransomware leading the way. Uh, no, it was
0: still a year of ransomware. We just had supply chain attacks too. <laughs> we, they, and they, they, there was, there was chain no
2: chain less
1: <laughs> ransomware. Right. There was just more <laughs> supply chain. <laughs>
0: Well, and I think you know we're just all sick of talking about ransomware, and we kind of we know for the most part how to deal it, deal with it, right? I mean, ransomware. I mean, which if we talk about that as just a major security incident as a whole, certainly we saw things that happened throughout the area. We saw you know double extortion is just here to stay, right? Yeah. That's- um, unless unless we just all go to killware, ha <laughs> ha. I saw killware. Um, so. Matt's already like I think I just saw his head pop off didn't
2: we actually do a whole episode (laughs) on just that word once like it was
0: and we weren't allowed to say that word Um, but what I think you know we're we're, so we pretty much know how to deal with most ransomware at that that, at this point, which is why it's not so much of a topic, because there isn't that much that has changed in terms of how these actors are getting in, moving moving laterally through the environment, taking stuff, and then you know encrypting and then asking for money and then posting the data. I mean that's pretty standard, and I think we we all have a pretty good idea to how to respond to it now. Of course, now that I say that, everything is going to change, but. You're welcome. I don't know,
1: that's pretty solid. Like <laughs> like now, like if you like if, if I saw ransomware they didn't exfiltrate data, I'd be like, Well, were they lazy that day? What happened? Like that's just part of part and parcel of what we do on ransomware now. We take the data, a copy of it, and then we encrypt it. And that's just how it's done now. That's the standard operating
2: procedure for ransomware. That's just table stakes to be a ransomware operator, right? Like that's just yeah. how you get in the game. Well, further on after after uh Hafnium kind of wrecked its havoc a little earlier in the year. We saw our, our, our good friends Revil, R-E-Evil, depending on who you ask, uh, and their attack against a IT solutions provider. Like So they didn't just go after an end customer. They went after the company that takes care of the IT stack for all these other companies when they attack Kaseya. And that led to a whole interesting spate of conversations uh, in the, you know, service provider space and how those how they're set up, how they react and how you have a whole secondary layer in the middle here of, you know, while they had X number of customers that were impacted, that actually translates to all these, you know, tens, thousands of endpoints uh, just because of the nature of their business.
0: Yeah, and I think that my main takeaway from that was really understanding your right to audit the logs of people who are in your environment and using your systems. And MSP providers are not any different, right? You should be able to know what information, how they are using your environment, and what information they are taking from it, right? Because again, it goes into are we vulnerable to this? Well, I don't know because my MSP won't tell me. Right. So making sure that that's in your contracts ahead of time, that you have the ability to audit what's in there and they have, you know, the responsibility to disclose to you if they, if they are vulnerable.
2: How'd that look for you guys? You, you bet.
1: <clears throat> um, trying to think of what, what kind of stood out from that event or what kind of the takeaway on that is like, Between that and portions of log4j, like the thing is, is that it just, I feel like we have, when we design enterprise networks, we're just happy to bring in um, foreign objects and put them into the network and be like, this is part of the network now and it's part of us. And, but when really you don't have the, you know, you don't have a software Bill of materials, so you don't understand what libraries are on there. And you don't necessarily, maybe you haven't thought about um, what the history of of that company is. So, for example, one of the things with NotPetya was that we saw hospitals in the United States getting hit by NotPetya because they happened to have a need to have the tax software for Ukraine on them. And like, if you thought about, you know, you know, if I'm doing business with Ukraine, then I expose myself to this. Maybe I put this in a little different segment of the network. Maybe I treat this differently. And so you know I just I feel like first even internally what I'm learning or w- the way I'm involving wise is that if I bring something in it gets locked into an environment with no greater anything than it absolutely needs and if I can and I, if I can make it so it can't talk to anything else I that's what I'm going to do um now how scalable that approach is, um, that becomes wildly difficult as you as you grow larger. And there are drawbacks to that. But but just you're you're constantly seeing, you know, these these, ele- these different elements. And it's particularly troublesome with Kaseya, because Kaseya had like administrative, like it was part of the administration process, right? So, right. so it, it it's it's not necessarily directly applicable because there you're sort of like you're like I can't do, you know. I am not in a position to do the IT administration work, so I'm going to have this this team do it, and this is how they do it. Um, never thinking, or never even having the background where you would be expected to think about, hey, I'm I'm outsourcing a lot of power over myself to this group, and there's a, there's an exposure and a risk here. It's just super challenging for those those mid sized businesses to handle that kind of of, of threat level.
2: Uh, I will say, in some update news on Kaseya and Revil, they had some rough mornings, you know, suppose, <laughs> supposedly. I don't know if anybody remembers, like, the, the, the day that we are recording this on January 14th, Twitter has been a buzz with uh, uh, Russian hacker door kicker videos of uh, the federal police taking down Revil, doing a takedown this morning and disbanding that group, uh, according to the news stories. I know that was uh, Liz. You sent a link to that over, and that was, that was that was quite a watch. I didn't understand a word of what they were saying, nope. but I didn't mean think the no uh, the video speaks. The body language speaks speaks volumes there.
0: I'm pretty sure they said get down on the ground, put your hands behind your back. I, it, I that's what I'm assuming that Russian translates to. But <sighs> you know, I, but I. I have a secret love, I don't have a secret. I have, I have a large vocal love for takedown videos because it is. It's hacker <laughs> cribs. And I want to know what is in your house. Like, so you have collected all this money. How are you living with it, right? There was a ton like, of
2: money. They were like using machines to count all the cash. I don't know if you saw that on that video.
0: Oh, yeah. They made sure you saw that B roll of like, so they had all the rubles that were, is it rubles? Oh, What's they had US dollars too. Yeah, they had US dollars, and they had some Ukrainian, they had a whole bunch of different things that were taken, but um, I need to go look back and see what the list was. I know they collected 20 cars, and I want to know what those cars are um so and then like how did they know that the car was related to like did they just like go check like how do they impound this right and like is there an impound lot where all these cars are sitting is there an auction site like we have or are they just going to like all of putin's friends probably the latter but you know it's possible um but you know like where is the tiger somebody has a tiger in this house because you don't have all that money and not buy a tiger well,
2: I mean, I, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Like seeing the garage full of eleven Lambos would be would be quite a sight. You know that would be that be something. But I, I do think that there's probably some correlation to that garage and that constantly spinning money counter and getting caught in the first place. You know what I mean? Like dudes um, well, that don't own tigers are- don't end up on cribs. That's all I'm saying. Like <laughs> avoid hacker cribs. how drive a Hyundai. Like there's.
0: Well, if you look at their houses, like I mean, I'm also just wondering, maybe this is just where they live. Like, there just aren't any like good loft spaces or something. They all look kind of like crappy apartments, like things I had when I was like in undergrad and had like my first apartment that I could buy, like not buy rent, and so you know, like none of them had super nice looking places.
2: I mean, I don't. I, I'm not quite sure. Not you know, up on Russia Zillow, you know, but. It looked okay to me. I don't know. <laughs>
0: House Hunters Hacker International.
2: House Hunters for Hackers International. That could actually be a show. We could do this. That would be interesting. Just like it's all like, so the garage. I really need an actual Faraday cage. Can any signal get in <laughs> or out? No, but our, our last big event of the year, uh, the one that just you know kind of ended our year, really, Late in Q4, guess the hackers were uh, struggling to make their deadlines this year because this one came in right around the holidays, uh, was, was log for j And that just happened. Still fresh on everybody's mind. Uh, the worst fallout for me was it screwed up a podcast episode number. But I don't know if there was anything else. Was- uh, the burdens you have to carry, Mitch. <laughs> That was, that, trust me, that was the least of my problems with that episode. So how did Log4J go? How did the team see that, Liz? Um, what's the fallout been so far? I mean, is there still any fallout for that? Or are we, are we quieted down on the Western Front now?
0: I mean, I think we all agree that we're likely to see fallout from this for a, a long time. But we may not know. Uh, it goes back to the <laughs> that question we asked earlier, like how do you know if, they, if this is how they got in? And you know, I think it's probably, and, and Matt, this is probably something your team is thinking about, um, it's probably going to, from my perspective, it will be in conjunction with other TTPs. Like all start, we'll start seeing exploit kits, you know, that this is N, and then knowing that, oh, if I see them go to this IP, you know, from this package, then we can probably say this, you know, that lock. This was their initial entry vector. But Matt, what do you think?
1: The, uh, I mean, so I read, I I read something online where they were talking about log4j and they were like, this is a massive attack. And I'm like, no, it's just, it's a vulnerability. Like that's what log4j is. Like it's an opportunity and then everything else is different. Like, or, or, or to some extent, everything else is the same. We've had log four j. and then we had coin miners. We had coin miners before, and then we had coin miners using log four j. Like that's just what happens. Uh, the the difference is that it was a gunshot start, right? Bad guys, good guys. everybody at the same time. Hey, here's a Vaughan. Good luck. And the bad guys run off in one direction. <laughs> the defenders run off in another direction and and you know it's 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 that kind of thing. The thing about log four j that was was, I think the reason it got people so wound up um, is just the breadth of the deployment and the fact that this wasn't like a a vuln in a like it wasn't like hafnium right. Hafnium also had a gunshot start to some extent. I think the bad guys had a little bit of a head start, but not a massive one. And and very quickly there was a patch available for defenders. And then there that the struggle. There was, am I operationally Set up to immediately do a patch on window on, on Exchange boxes, and, and can I do that? Whereas with with Log4j, there was a whole lot of wait. Do we do we use Log4j? Did you? I don't. I don't know. Is it? Do we use it safely? And does this strange black box that I bought that runs the cameras on my network? Does that? Does it use Java or is it is it C? What is it C Sharp? What's happening here? And so you had an inability to one a very trivial to execute attack like stupidly easy execute attack uh and and just a threat surface that even attackers didn't know what they were hitting like attackers were just jamming like strings into random feet not random into very specific fields in different network protocols and just shooting them out and they don't they had no idea what box was coming back to talk to them but they guaranteed they got some. And so that was the that was the thing about log4j is that it was the definitive demonstration, the definitive demonstration for me that this is why you have software bill of materials. So that when you have a question am I vulnerable, you can pull the software bill of materials for everything you purchase and go, "Yes, the following three things use this. Those vendors on the phone now, please. And so I, that's the that's the thing about Log4J. Ultimately, I, I don't want to, like like, it was not the, it does not appear to have been, like, the burn the earth kind of event that if you laid out, like, all of those characteristics, like, you could envision it being. Like, I think we got off easier than we expected to at the beginning of that uh on the on the Friday morning when I first got notification of this and I started to like figure out, oh wow, this thing's everywhere I was like, we're in real trouble. Like I I think we're in big trouble here. And we just haven't had the sort of cascading like, we're hacked, we're hacked, we're hacked, we're hacked, we're hacked notifications that I would have expected that morning. Um, and I'm not sure what the, what the, whether it's because it was late December and everybody decided to take off, including the bad guys. Um, I'm not sure why we got off, um, as cleanly as we did, or maybe people just reacted. They, they all saw and were like, we're going to patch right now. We're going to immediately put these remediations in. Um, but we, we've seen very few, um, we've seen lots of activity, very little crises,
0: one of the things that I wonder when there are situations like this is I think, you know, the larger organizations obviously are concerned and are immediately hopefully making efforts to determine whether or not they're vulnerable, what you know, what their threat service you know, is gonna be. But a smaller organization may be less likely, you know, the ones who are barely doing patch Tuesdays, you know. Maybe you know they have their IT guy Bill didn't didn't breathe the news in December because he went fishing right Um, and to me that is creating a lot the the vulnerable space in that kind of that third party structure that's where I'm kind of worried that we're going to see is that that's going to be an initial entry vector for other people to use to launch onto other systems like we've seen before right so to other companies and. And I think you know the the people that we call the sophisticated actors, if they're leveraging it, they're being quiet about it, right? We know at least like one nation state actor has been been using this as part of their kits, but um, I think you know the the more you know the APTs, the the bigger people of the world, if they're using it, like they're not going to make a big stink about it. They make it just be getting in there, laying quiet till everybody forgets about it, and now they already have they know they have that path inside.
2: I mean, that's a safe money with that kind of attack, right? Especially if you can kind of fudge the very logs that you're using, you know, the very thing you're using as an attack vector to cover your tracks. You can just stay right there on the front porch as long as you want.
0: Right. But even if we so yeah, we'll have that thing in. But if you have the other security technologies and other personnel in place that are watching what would happen next, which would be, oh, hey, now we're starting to see lateral movement in our environment, other things. So even if you can detect that first part, having the second thing be a red flag, at least you can catch them at that point and contain it earlier.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, given given the kind of activity that we saw this year, there's there's absolutely zero reason to see that we wouldn't those trends wouldn't continue into the new year, like ransomware. Like, uh, I believe one thing we didn't really touch on would be healthcare as a as a very you know as a high ranking vector. Uh, people are always going to be clicking on the wrong thing. Business email compromise is going to continue to happen. Phishing is going to continue to happen. There's there's no reason to think that the anybody's gonna be, you know, ransomware is anything but all gas, no breaks for 2022. Uh but what else do we see as, as trends impacting that space? Not necessarily what threats are gonna happen or not gonna happen, like not not looking into a crystal ball here. So I guess an example, uh, like continued involvement in, uh, you know, hopefully uh, a trend that we see is the federal government continuing to lead the way with a, a whole, more whole of government response to uh, cybersecurity issues. I would love yeah, to see that I, continue in the new year.
0: And I think that's one of the major things. I Maybe I think should get hyped a little bit more for 2021 was the ransomware task force.
2: Yeah, I believe so too. Matt, that was something what? that you were involved in there. Seems like, and really, just the the concept of the whole government response to ransomware. Exactly. I year. mean, it
1: was it was useful because of its, I, I think because of its place in time, right? It, we we worked together and created those recommendations, I think, and provided them like within like three weeks before Colonial Pipeline, right. So, oh, you just just, had to get
0: colonial pipeline in here somewhere. Matt was very upset we didn't have it in our list of topics.
1: Well, let me tell you what. If you look at the updated (laughs) drag blog draft, it's in there now. (laughs) (laughs) Weirdly, um. So, but no, I mean, I, 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 mean, colonial. Let's 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 come back to colonial, um, because I I I think there's there's reasons to talk about it, um. But yeah, the ransomware task force definitely a a point in time where we we had the information available to governments when they were ready to take major action, right? And I think that's why why the RTF was so so effective. Um, uh, that and just the enormous amount of talent that that was available there um, to work together to 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 come up with these recommendations.
2: There was a lot of. Work. Okay, well,
0: I want I want to pause you there because you said it was effective. Right. So what ha- have we actually seen um, positive outcomes come out of that task force?
1: Whether like so I don't want to to take credit where it isn't justified. So what I would say is the things that we advised, um, particularly like like so particularly the things that, that I kind of uh, advocated for or the kind of things that I'm tracking, um, like like a more aggressive um offensive cybersecurity posture against these these actors has come to fruition to some extent in the time after we released i believe i would argue that those those efforts were already underway as we were writing them and so we were merely documenting what collectively people thought needed to happen so i'm not saying that rtf put in place these but but the list that we put out are the kind of things that governments are choosing to do um, and so I think having having kind of like a, a a a list that way, that's that's how I mean by effective is that it, it accurately documented what in 2021 we collectively thought needed to be done to, to kind of try to curb some of this activity.
0: Do you know, are there plans to revisit the task force? Like, is it going to be an annual thing?
1: I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, there are still there are still echoes of that activity happening. There's still elements of, of some of the cooperative work um, that are that are continuing to happen that are that are out of the sponsoring organization for that. So so still still things happening with that group. But in terms of, of the RTF, I don't not that I've heard.
2: What, what are the next steps in that? I mean, in terms of a um, that what that you said that happened at the right place at the right time, uh, there was action taken, there was progress made uh, after the actions of the RTF, the ransomware task force, and some of those things being adopted into the way the federal government is now responding to large scale threats. Um, how do we see that? continuing to evolve or is that something that's going to are we in a good place now and we can put it on cruise control for the year
1: like I think so like things like the JCDC I think are are good outcomes that's a part of the JCDC work um, which is the joint cyber defense coalition run out of CISA um, actually born out of the Solarium Commission, which is, was another group of very smart people who got together who were thinking more broadly about cybersecurity issues and the government's role in, in, in uh, combating them. Um, but, but the JCDC actually is something that, that benefited from both Solarium and RTF. Um, there is a, a ransomware aspect to the work that the JCDC is doing. Um, and I think you know, it's, only been, it's only been a few months so all of that stuff at government speed is very new and fresh and still kind of finding its way Um, and so we continue to do new things inside the jcdc um, as as new events come up as new geopolitical tensions arise as new threats are considered how do we collectively between the federal government and and corporations how do we work together and share um, our observations our concerns our defensive measures um, so that, that they most likely will be adoptive widespread so that, that things are better than they are. Um, and I think that's, that's, that's the real kind of, I think the, the thing coming out of 2021 is how that collective efforts, how those are going to work, um, how some of what CES is doing in terms of publishing like top CVEs, like how that'll impact things. Um, that, that kind of, of government work, I think is, is important.
0: Have we seen adversaries changing any of their patterns or ways they behave because of things like the ransomware attacks, task force and just general like government? Uh, no, I wouldn't say because of the
1: ransomware task force, but I I would say so so going now, now going back to Colonial. Um Colonial is a major event in the ransomware actors timeline it's also a major event in our timeline um, i live on the east coast um, i was you know i was in part of the area that was affected that, that had uh, fewer operating gas stations than it should have had uh, because colonials pipeline was shut down for six days
2: but see, Matt was smart. He put his gas in the lawn and leaf bags, not just like the, the shopping bags. <laughs> bags. Not, not the gas. Oh bags. my god! I
0: forgot about that. <laughs> how did I like? I somehow squished that in my head of how stupid people. Oh my god! I forgot about the gas in bags.
1: Yep, gas and shopping. Now it's, bags. it's back. Gas in plastic bags. <laughs> oh god! That's important. <laughs> so i actually uh, so we'll be talking about we'll be talking about colonial pipeline and, uh, and i will be talking about colonial pipeline in a couple of other forms because i think it is actually for a very busy 2021 um the thing that happened that i think will have the most long-term impact um well, we it, saw some bad happens. guy impacts from that too right so so real quick colonial ransomware dark side um uh and thereafter immediately shut down um rebranded black matter kind of got you know kind of then one went, went away um uh interesting that the government uh managed to recoup some funds but the thing that happened like so it was it was ransomware task force colonial pipeline Biden executive administration order like like within like all like a period of like Three and a half, four weeks all kind of happened in a row um and the government responded to colonial and i don't think that i I, you know and in my estimation we are not fully aware of everything that the government did in response to colonial but when you when when today when today um reval attackers um or reval malicious actors were arrested in russia when i asked our, our team i'm like well what is the response online the first thing that they say is well they didn't touch the pipeline like the pipeline event they know that they icarus that moment they flew too close Way to the sun close, yeah. they broke something that they should not have broke like completely unintentionally and their world changed because of that event like The way they think about the safety of their operations, the operational security, the way they view global events and activities by various governments, they view through a lens of there was before Colonial Pipeline and there was ap- after Colonial Pipeline. And that's, what I, that's why I think that event is important because they know they fucked up and they are still wondering what the total outcome to the environment is from having stepped too
2: far have we seen any of that fall out like in terms of how they're doing business? Like, have we actually impacted, did those moves actually impact their business models in the, in real space?
1: I mean, they haven't filed their year in reports yet, so it's hard to tell. Like, so it's, <laughs> it's, it's always
0: seen their OKR results. Yeah. It's yeah. always
1: hard. Like, like it's hard to measure impact. Right. Like, but what, what I can say is like, like dark side immediately knew, they were like, uh oh, <laughs> and they just folded up shop. They just started trying to like pull it like. So it was clear there. Um, then you saw so there are there are there are underground forums where you may not advertise ransomware activities anymore. Like you can't hire in certain right. forums. Um, there are groups that came out and said we, you know, we are. Are are evil and we do not attack hospitals or critical infrastructure. Like that is the, what it, we will, and we will. If we accidentally do, we will give you a free encryption key. You know, like like they there were like policy statements made by criminal organizations exempting critical infrastructure from attack. So they were. They you literally I,
2: phrased it like a value proposition. We are a ransomware company that does not attack critical infrastructure. Yeah, we're not battery.
0: like those asshole <laughs> ransomware guys. Also, you know they're having to define critical infrastructure just as much as we have, and so you know we've had those those sure. we've seen those conversations with threat actors being like, "You are attacking oh. a healthcare, you know this is part of critical infrastructure." They're like, "No, it's not.
1: You're not a hospital. <laughs> you're a clinic." Yeah, yeah. like yeah. yeah, no, I remember this discussion, um, and and we saw it also in in like when they they hit uh, some. Uh, food co-op that meant that that built software for um, farmer co-ops. Um, they're like, we're part of the supply chain. They're like, no, you're not. You're a software developer. So yeah, like that kind of discussion. Um, it, it goes back. To, like we tend to think about ransomware operators as operating without fear, and I think what Colonial showed me is there is, there is fear in that community. Right? They they are not operating. With without regard to what is happening in the world and it goes back to we had published a blog i don't remember when this was the blog where we had talked to the ransomware operator and had had that conversation with him um after that blog published we were having a follow-up conversation with him not long after colonial and we asked him you know what what are your thoughts on this and he's like um the u.s government is slow but it has a long memory and so that that is you know i think that's what we're seeing um are have we have we slowed down in terms of instant responses for ransomware no is is like everyday kind of corporations still a target and still getting hit constantly yes um do i believe that at some level the ransomware actors are being more cautious when they are in and around what we might consider critical infrastructure. Yes, I do, um, but that's you know that still does not account for something like Colonial, which ultimately was unintentional. The actors never targeted the OT network. The, the Colonial Pipeline decided to shut down their pumping operations yep. um, for a couple of reasons. I think Colonial Colonial opened my eyes and their eyes a little about what the world was like um, for these groups and they they definitely changed their behaviors um, based on the, just that attack
0: so you know, one of the other behaviors we saw adversaries changing last year was also just in terms of negotiations, right? Uh, so we did see, you know, there were a number of adversaries, uh, not a number, I think there was one, uh, but adversaries that if you were using a certain company to negotiate your yep. ransomware with, then they just didn't want to play ball, they would raise, raise the price, do other things. So uh, do, where, where do we think that came from? Like, why did they decide say they had enough of?
1: I mean, I have thoughts. Like, you know, if you have an effective, if you have an effective negotiator, then they don't want to work with them, right? I don't, you know, it it is the if you look at the dark web postings from these groups, and if you kind of try to understand which postings are kind of legitimately from people who can speak on behalf of the groups and kind of hone in on those. They're very personality driven, right? There's 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 only like 6 or 7 ish depending on how you measure it and everything else major ransomware operators. Um and th- those are controlled by by people who make decisions about what they do and who who they'll work with. Um and you know, sometimes they don't, there's, there's a disagreement about how business gets done. And in in that case, I think there's a disagreement between the negotiators and someone who was able to say, well, that's fine. Here's how we're going to, here's how we're going to play ball uh, on this. Um, and we can, we can afford to take the loss by just walking away from an encrypted environment. If they bring in this group, um, I have had no indication of what the impact of that has been in terms of people using that group or anything else i'd be i don't don't know
2: a way to do that from our position so i do want to start dialing it in uh and and we we always close going around the table with a, a parting shot closing thought uh so let's do that again liz you kicked us off today so how about you give us your the parting shot and closing thought first
0: okay so originally I was going to be talking about ghost hunting as my parting thought, parting shot, because, and I'm, I'm going to save that because I have many thoughts on it, but I actually want like parting shots going to be somewhat security related and that's going to be QR codes. All right, so uh, I made a joke during one of my friend's webinars or whatever live streams they're doing. Uh, talk, we were talking about, or he was talking about uh, USB-infected malware, right, and how security researchers love to go into a parking lot and just, like, throw USBs out and do everybody
2: was, do they I, love to do that.
0: Everybody loves to do that. <laughs> um so, you know, um, so you know that used to be that what are those threat vectors? were like, oh, don't don't shove this USB into your system unless you know what it is. Um, but right now, I think we're seeing a, you know, if you're at a restaurant and you have a menu in front of you and there's a QR code on it, every mom and pop is now just automatically clicking on that and going to it. and it actually hit home um, within there's a in the past uh, past week or so, Austin revealed that there have been a number of people who have been placing QR codes on the parking meters in Austin streets. So and basically you go on there and it says, oh, hey, and I have seen these in the wild, by the way. Um, but I didn't I didn't click on them because I didn't know they were malware, or I would have. Um, um, I have seen these on parking systems where they basically said, hey, really easy, Come pay pay this for your parking. And it yeah. goes to a very good crafted website. The website looks just like it's Austin's parking people or whatever they are and then you put in your, your license plate number, your credit card and you know so now that you know, they have all that data. I will say though I did like Austin's response uh, so I used what a parking meter last night and of course I'm like please have, have the QR code, have the QR code and it did not but in the sc- first thing on your screen Austin actually put a thing on there that says we don't use QR codes if you see a QR code call 311. Well, here's the thing so, is
2: a lot of the parking apps do every place like Park Mobile and Park and Go, like all of those are QR code oh, my based. Park,
0: my Park and Zoom is a QR code place, right? I yeah. go in, they, they scan my QR code. I'm not scanning theirs, which Fair. maybe is a different way of doing it. The better way uh, of doing but, it, yeah. Yeah, certainly is that, you know, we think about that. But I, I think, you know, in terms of funsies, I th- not, I don't think there are any like major like hacks that come that way. But I think we're going to have some, some people are going to start doing some not major hacks, with QR but codes. fraud. It's
2: fraud all over the place. Yeah, we talked about fraud. that a while yeah. ago. I think a few episodes ago, and Craig said they were never going to take off. And then we laughed at him. And yet here we are with everybody talking about this. Now, the big thing is, I think the big difference is like the only, a QR code is just like a link, but worse, right? Like it's just like a malicious yeah. link, just worse. You can do worse, yeah. than, you know. A few, few more creative things with it.
0: Yeah. So. I mean, it in essence, it's drive by, right? Yeah. It's a drive by. Yeah.
2: And bad guys are gonna um, but, bad guy. I mean, I would do those yeah. all over the damn place. Are you kidding me? Especially a place where people are not expecting to pay a few bucks. You could get away with that forever.
0: Yep. And I think somebody said uh, earlier today, when I think one of our consultants, that uh, it's going to be the new gas station skimmer, right? Mm-hmm. And that you know the the <laughs> local people easier. who are running. Yeah, it's going to be so easy for you to collect money. Because
2: you way. don't have to know shit about an Arduino to do this one. You just got to print up some QR codes. Like, it's.
0: And yeah, t- talk about just return on investment. Like, you could do this for so cheap. The challenge would be just to have that do a Rickroll, and then people would learn, right? So, have a QR code, hit a Rickroll, stop automatically putting QR codes on your phone.
1: I was going to say, do you want to go to jail for QR codes? Like, calm. Like. <laughs> Come on, Jimmy! Get your life together.
0: What <laughs> would they prosecute that under if it was just a rickroll? Oh, rickroll!
2: No, that, that's that's yeah, yeah. yeah I, I mean, if it. you're actually taking money, obviously there's all kinds of fraud statutes. Yeah, you're a
0: criminal. Like there's no other things you can. Get
2: Matt, parting shot, closing thought. Um.
1: Yeah, I don't know, man. And I, I it, just to like listeners know, like it was set, like I was up like, 1 a.m. doing Ukraine stuff. And then the first thing this morning was like more Ukraine stuff. As just, so I've spent like part of this episode like working on PR issues on the side and dealing with researchers. And, and so, um, uh, haven't, uh, I tell you what, homework go, go to, um, an Asian grocery and buy a bunch of their cookies and eat them. I, I, we, uh, we did a, um, uh, new year's party this year and, uh, Chris Marshall and I cook Chinese food for all of our friends. Uh, so we made a trip to the, uh, to this really nice Asian market that's up in Ellicott city. Um, and there's an entire aisle of like previously unencountered sweets. And so, yeah, the, I was just like yeah. walking with the basket, just like knocking them into the cart. There's,
2: there's and, a place uh, near my house called San Juan that is pretty much the place you're describing. That yes, there's yeah. some really interesting stuff you can grab there. Yeah, just it, see see what's out there.
0: See, yeah, have we have H Mart, and H Mart is pre you know it is the massive Asian grocery store and hitting many different versions of of that area's uh, uh, cuisines, but um, I particularly enjoy the Japanese aisle of cookies and other things because they have the most colorful pictures on them, and I have no idea what's in the package, so it's like a fun surprise, and like, let's just take this home, and it's like, will my mouth catch on fire? Am I going to eat something gelatinous? I don't know. I don't know what this (laughs) Astro Boy on this cover means.
2: (laughs) I, I understand exactly what you're saying. However, I prefer the Chinese baked goods from around the Chinese New Year time frame. They come out with some pretty insane stuff on the in the Chinese aisle around uh was they do it's, it's, it's there's they do a lunar calendar, isn't it? But it's lunar like New offset yeah. by like I can't remember. Yeah.
0: Whenever whenever Chinese and we're up New Year is back to calendars.
2: Yeah, whenever Chinese New Year's is, that's <laughs> that's when you want to hit up the bakery aisle for sure for certain. Now I gotta go to San Juan. Thanks, Matt. You're welcome, sir. <laughs> Call this one an episode. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, if you have any questions, tweet Liz, like usual. And if you... Yeah, get <laughs> right up. But we will catch you next time. And until then, stay safe and um, try and have a good week. Like, it's it's the top of the year. Let's not get burnt out just yet, right? Right, Matt? I'm waiting, I'm waiting for Liz to, like, say your catchphrase.
0: Come at me, Chuck. There we All go. Right. <laughs> Until
2: next time, cheers. <laughs> Bye.